You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, welcome to Why We Do What We Do. I am going to be your audio-sensitive host, Abraham. (laughs) And I'm going to be your compassionately quiet host, Shane. And so we are a psychology podcast. We like to tackle all kinds of random stuff that has to do with psychology is as much as we can make that square peg fit in the round hole, we will do it. <laughs> Today we are tackling a topic that I think is pretty close to this. We are talking about mouth sounds. Yep. And just general human sounds and humming sounds. Yeah. We're talking about misophonia. I feel like this is one that comes up quite a bit in the podcasting world. So yeah, it does. it's kind of nice that we're finally tackling it True, because it is just one of those things where it's like, you know, it does come up a lot. And when you work in audio and you're working in a space where you are recording yourself and the audio is supposed to sound a certain way, you know, we kind of feel bad for Justin having to listen to all of our mouth sounds and all the the pops in the mic and all that. Sorry, Justin. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of sorry. I like Justin, but (laughs) it's fine. Hashtag sorry, not sorry. (laughs) You know, so it's, it's one of those things though, that as somebody who's worked in food service, when people talk about allergies that don't exist, it was one of those fun ones where I was like, well, I wonder, well, let's see what misophonia is so about. Like what, let's, what's it actually about? So that's what we decided to tackle. This is going to be a short episode. There's not a lot on it, but we're going to have some fun with it. And In case you're worried, misophonia listeners and everyone else, I'm acknowledging now that we're not going to do the thing where we make a bunch of misophonia (laughs) mouth sounds and and gross chewing sounds just because we're talking about misophonia. I feel like that's been pretty played out and it's not going to further this conversation. And I don't think anyone's going to find it that funny anyway. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even somebody without misophonia is like, it's still gross yeah you still don't like to hear it yeah yeah yeah. it's weird so abraham that begs the question what kind of sounds do you dislike what are some what are some sounds that you're like ugh, i can't i can't deal with that the thing that immediately comes to mind is when someone drives the motorcycle that causes small earthquakes with its motor oh yeah as yeah. it drives by yeah that is one of the most obnoxious sounds in the entire world but i i think general loud machinery really gets to me like loud vacuum cleaners really bother me Mm -hmm. but the one that fills me with the most rage is the motorcycle yeah i think that's fair that makes sense i mean mine's avril lavigne but there's (laughs) i'm sure there's some other ones that are in there too man that was such an easy pot shot i could have taken in some (laughs) singer and i didn't even think about it that was so good yeah, my number two is Nickelback, but we we, we talk enough trash about Nickelback. <laughs> the sound of Ted Cruz's voice. There we go. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, like yeah, everybody has probably a sound that they can't they can't really attend to. But for the most part, we kind of move through it. And and folks with misophonia tend to not have that same level of tolerance. They have a maybe a higher level. And we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. So today we're gonna ask the questions: what is misophonia? Is it real? Are birds real? And can we, what can we do to treat misophonia? We're not going to answer the birds one because that's going to be, that's, we're going to save that for a conspiracy theory episode. Man, I was going to say bury the lead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not going to talk about Gotta birds know. today, really. So, are birds yeah. real? I don't know. There's a whole website about it. All right. Let's get to some background about this word. If you've never heard this word before, be prepared to be introduced to this word. <laughs> this comes from Greek words meaning hate and voice loosely translated as the hate of sound Mm -hmm. side note hate voice sounds like a metal band that may have been trying just a little too hard (laughs) like if i was 15 
Like I was in a band called Dead End Dreams. Nice. So I was like, yeah, Hate Voice would have been a better name for that band. So <laughs> what this does is this describes a disorder where certain sounds activate intense emotional reactions ranging from mild annoyance to anger. So you've probably heard sounds have been like, oh, God, I can't stand that to maybe having a little bit more of an intense reaction. And some individuals suffering from misophonia also report anxiety or panic attacks. It may actually isolate or avoid circumstances where triggering noises may occur. They might actually kind of avoid it to such a degree that they actually lose meaningful friendships and things like that. Did you find that this is an actual disorder like DSM disorder? Spoiler alert. No, I did not. Okay. It was actually originally uh, identified as a disorder. And and for folks who are listening, you can't see our notes, but anytime I, I cite the word disorder in these notes, there are quotations. And right now on the video for our Patreons, you can see me doing finger quotations when I do that. I'm going to do that a lot because it's not actually a disorder. In 2001, it was discovered by Powell and Margaret Jasterboff out of Emory University, and they coined it as a disorder, but it's not formally cited in the DSM. And probably also not in the ICD either. It's nowhere to be found in those spaces, even though it's been, it was discovered 20 years ago. If you haven't derived what we're talking about already, or if you're not familiar with this, this misophonia is characterized by what is called a disorder by these two, although it's not officially recognized, but this experience is characterized by extreme sensitivity or diminished tolerance to what would be described as pattern-based sounds, which is sounds that occur as a cluster of noises that are similar. A very commonly cited example for most misophonia people, or maybe not most, but a lot, is the sound of people chewing, where you got this sort of repeated squish, crunch sort of sound. Yeah, yeah. Also, squish is a terrible word to describe. <laughs> Like if you're somebody who has synesthesia <laughs> right. and like the word squish probably feels a certain way. I don't know. Anyway, so these sounds can range from repetitive sounds generated by others like tapping on a pencil or clicking a keyboard or clicking pens, lip smacking or general wet sounds are just gross, right? Just that, that kind of general wet sound is blech. Or it can include the constant hum of machinery. That's me. You know, and this is something that like I've, I've pointed out to people and they're like, it's evil when we do this. So anyway, I'm going to dive into this. I'm going to be a little bit chaotic right now and what i want you to do is i want you to take a second to pause this episode okay and i want you to just listen to your environment listen for things like a fan turning in your office or a humming of the tube lights the fluorescent lights in your kitchen or maybe you pick up the sound of your refrigerator right that hum that low hum that comes out of your refrigerator now just notice those sounds oh this is a mindfulness exercise yeah I'm, that's what we're doing i've never done mindfulness before so this is okay. great let's give like 10 seconds of silence yeah And we're back. We're back. So here's the thing. Those noises that you just paid attention to, those noises that you attended to, you'll notice them forever. And we're not going to apologize for that. <laughs> Welcome to real life. <laughs> it's like a ringworm record. Birth is pain. So, yeah. So so these noises are all around us and sometimes we don't attend to them. But sometimes like when for some folks, these noises are really difficult to hear a lot and they actually cause some pretty intense reactions. This is seems to be a sort of general preference for or i guess preference against in this case it could kind of be anything so it's like something that more or less gets under your skin grosses you out annoys you because there are some folks suffering from misophonia who also report aversions to visual stimuli such as someone shaking their legs mm -hmm. it strikes me and i'm not sure if you ran into this when you were preparing the notes for this but it strikes me that 
misophonia is almost like the polar opposite of ASMR. <laughs> yes, I did. I okay. did come across that. Yeah, they actually specifically cite that. Yeah. Okay, great. We'll get to that then. I was I was just thinking, I was like, man, it's like for some people, this is like they literally shudder with pleasure and some people shudder with disgust. <laughs> yeah, I don't include it in the notes because I didn't want to take away from the misophonia stuff specifically. But yeah, and that's exactly what they said. It's like some people just like, oh, it just feels so good to hear certain sounds. And then there's some sounds that are just really horrible. And I wonder if there's maybe something to do with just like a sensitivity to sound. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit, like kind of like the mechanisms by which this comes up. But yeah, it was that came up like once or twice where they said that it is pretty much the exact opposite of ASMR. Interesting. Yeah. I could also imagine like from the visual perspective of like really enjoying someone like Bob Ross. Like this is a good example of that where like seeing someone who is sort of slowly moving through very deliberate steps of what they're doing might be really appealing to some people and just maddening to others. And and yeah. that seems like that's sort of well, we got a spectrum here of preferences for visual and auditory stimuli and how they occur to us. Misophonia on the end being hate this and ASMR on the end being love this. Yeah. You know, it's funny is I did not expect Bob Ross to show up in this episode, <laughs> but here we are. That feels good. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so. You know, this is often described as a disorder. And like we mentioned before, it's not actually a disorder. It's not formal at the time of this recording. It, it may be. But the problem is there's actually a few different reasons why it's not considered or classified a disorder just yet. And the first one is that there's very little research on this. And so there's little to suggest that it should be distinct as a disorder rather than auditory preference. So right now it appears that while it seems to be pretty impactful and pretty aversive for some folks, it's not necessarily something that can be categorized by itself. It just seems more like an auditory preference or an auditory aversion than it does like any sort of other explanation out there right now. Another reason that this is not a disorder is similar to when we have talked about disorders in the past, sometimes if you have two disorders that are so comorbid that they almost never exist apart from one another, they're probably part of the same thing, right? Right. And so that's an issue with misophonia is that it's not differentiated from symptoms of other syndromes or disorders. So for example, it's difficult to determine if misophonia occurs alone or is a symptom of someone who suffers from tinnitus, autism spectrum disorders, Tourette's, sensory processing disorder, or other disorders that have a neurological component where you might be sensitive to some particular stimuli. Right. So we can't specifically differentiate it out from those other things. Yeah. Yeah. And some people confuse misophonia with hyperacusis, which is a, a disorder that is characterized by certain sound characteristics like volume, type, or intensity uh, being aversive rather than singular sounds. So like maybe something's too loud, like you mentioned before, where like loud machinery is, is actually a problem. It may not be the sound itself. It may just be loud machinery. It may be the type of sound, like maybe you don't like the sound of paper shuffling or, you know, it might be a combination of sounds, like maybe it's too many sounds together. So, for instance, you might not hate lip smacking. You just might not like wet sounds. And if you have those general characteristics where you don't like like a, a type of sound, that might be it. I work with a learner who has hyperacusis specifically, and her challenge is not certain sounds. It's not even loud sounds. It's a combination of multiple sounds mm. that she has a hard time differentiating between. And so that really kind of puts her on edge, and she does have some real challenges with that. Like the combination of... 
the guitars, vocals, and drums that make up country music. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, hard that, to listen to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Take that, Garth Brooks. I'm sorry. I'm. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I should be kinder here. I'm not actually del- deliberately going after country. I was. I was trying to think as you were talking. I was gonna like. I'm gonna throw someone under the bus. It's got it. And and then country. I landed on country. But country's easy. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. Yeah. 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 I think there's so. Yeah. There's so many people out there who are like, oh, I hate country. So that's that's sort of where I. I landed on that, but I absolutely am not. So I'm not trying to criticize anyone's tasting in country. If you love country music, that's awesome. Good for you. I'm really happy for you. There's nothing wrong with you liking country music. I I was just trying to make a joke. Yeah. Now, if you like dubstep, that's a different conversation. Ugh, get out of here. <laughs> get out of here. Actually, if yeah, you're interested, you Skrillex fans. Yeah, if you're interested, we did do a whole episode on music preference, where we sort of talk about that. So it's uh, it's that's a fun one to go back and listen to as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So where are we? We're talking about how this happens. How does one develop misophonia, this particular preference? So let's start with at the time of this episode, researchers are stumped as to the underlying cause of this disorder. Researchers speculate that there are some maybe incomplete or malformed neural pathways, for example, in the amygdala, which does help to mediate the fight or flight response. But that's never been fully confirmed they just really don't know they're sort of hypothesizing that that could be the case so we from a neurological yeah. standpoint we're not sure we have literally no idea i mean which is also kind of par for the course <laughs> when it comes to the brain yeah. we're like yeah, i guess it's fine we have one yeah we have one that's about as much as we know additionally nobody really knows how prevalent it is like there are hardly any stats on this on demographics that illustrate how widespread this is but generally speaking the onset of misophonia typically occurs or it's noticed more around puberty and is more likely to be reported by women than by men. And so that's pretty much all we know about like who it impacts. We have no idea about race, age, region, anything like that. It doesn't really, we can't really pinpoint any of that stuff right now. There are some correlations like folks with misophonia generally have the lowest IQs. I'm just kidding. They tend to have higher <laughs> IQs. So it's a correlation. That's cool. That's a thing. Yeah, and one study found it had 42 adults rank sounds based on aversion. 20 of the participants described having misophonia or self-reported misophonia, and 22 reported not having the quote-unquote disorder. And in the ranking, they included universally unpleasant sounds like babies crying or people screaming. They included neutral sounds like rain and common quote-unquote trigger sounds like eating and breathing that are often reported by folks with misophonia. Participants with misophonia ranked common triggers at a higher aversion than other noises, so they did accurately report that, indicating that, yes, some sounds are not fun to listen to, and they are even less fun for some folks. So, in breaking news, water is wet. We already (laughs) knew that about this, so it's not like a surprise. So, they did a whole study to tell us what we already knew. Yeah, it does seem like we're getting into a lot of territory where it's just like there's there's just basic preference, like... Some people are like, they look at a watercolor painting and they're like, that looks nice. Good job. And some people are like, this is amazing. And some people are like, I hate it. (laughs) Yeah. And those aren't really diagnosable conditions. That's just part of being a human where you have certain experiences, preferences, and and history that you bring to every situation. But I do have a question because I did, I did bring up the idea of water is wet. Like is, is water wet? Have you had this? Have you had this talk yet? I've heard people talk about this. Okay. I, I well I I've never really I mean I've heard people talk about it but I don't know the answer. Like I don't think that water is wet, right? Like isn't that the whole philosophy of it? It's like the ship of Theseus. <laughs> is water wet? It's not really the ship. Uh, or is the Water's stuff that water wet. touches wet because it's got water on it? What is the definition of wetness? 
Yeah, the series of questions. The <laughs> essence of wetness. Where's Zoolander on this? <laughs> right. We need Zoolander because he knows. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I've heard people have this discussion and I've just been like, oh, really? That's what you're spending your time on now? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. Who cares? I feel like describing water as not being wet except when it's on another surface to me is a a line in the sand that does not need to be drawn. Yeah. So I guess if I if I'm gonna land anywhere, I suppose that water's wet. Yeah. And if you talk me out of that, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, it's not a hill I'm willing to die on. Okay. So, Sorry to. I mean, you can have a strong opinion about it. I just don't. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and the more I think about it, like now that that's brought up, I, I realize that maybe wet sounds are a problem for me. Oh, I got gotcha. Like maybe that's maybe that's my hyperacusis kicking in, where I'm like, I can't stand wet sounds. I was trying to think of one. And I was like, if you have someone who's like, you know, thrusting something to a jar of mayonnaise, that kind of sound. Oh God! <laughs> like that, like like a plop. Yeah, like a. It's got that sort of squish, slow decay resolve. Like, <laughs> but um. Oh yeah! Hey, you did it. <laughs> okay, so studies regarding the brain structure of participants identified as having misophonia. They used whole brain MRI scans to map out their brains and identify unique brain structures compared to quote unquote normal brains <laughs> cute igor from young frankenstein talking about the brain he grabbed abby normal <laughs> what a great movie indeed that is a that is a that is a treasure i love it in these studies <laughs> it appears that participants had a higher amount of myelination which is the sort of fatty coating around neural cells that help improve electrical insulation usually implying that there's like a lot of activity there yeah. However, they don't know if this has to do with anything related to the misophonia. This might have to do with the general higher level of IQ or something. So onward. <laughs> Here we go. More research. Yeah. I mean, they just don't know. I mean, it, it's again, it's one of those things where it's been 20 years. This has been coined and kind of discovered. So they just don't really know anything about it. And as a matter of fact, as I was putting the notes together, I was like, I don't know what else to write about this thing. Because there's not a lot to write about it. However, there are some treatments that they have tried to put together um, to kind of help folks with this type of disorder. And we're going to cover a couple of them. Thank goodness. I need those evidence-based treatments. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So here we go. <laughs> I, you're going to be pleasantly surprised. As of this recording, there are I no identified evidence-based treatments. No! Ah, misophonia! <laughs> yeah, there's nothing. So if you hate the sound of someone chewing on chips, you're out of luck. But there's nothing right now that they've found, they've discovered. They've been testing stuff, they've been trying stuff, but they've been throwing stuff at a wall and seeing what sticks. But right now, there's nothing that's like, this is the treatment for misophonia. However, there are some folks who are attempting to do research on ways to help address the plight of people suffering from misophonia Notably, audiologists often recommend working in a multidisciplinary setting. Audiologists, for those who don't know, are doctors of hearing, essentially. Yeah. They're people you go to if you ever have a hearing problem. They, they are the ones who program and prescribe hearing aids, that sort of thing. But also, one source noted rewiring. Yeah. So, you know, that's the whole thing. Yeah. So here are some different treatments that have been discussed so far. So we've got tinnitus retraining therapy, mm -hmm. auditory distraction coping strategies like how are you going to manage your stress around this cognitive behavior therapy and counter conditioning which is more or less what it sounds like it's teaching a new association to that sound and we're going to talk more about that one later but could you imagine like somebody being like oh 
do you hate these sounds? Here, I'm going to teach you how to just do deep breathing with it. Like, you know, I, I imagine that, like the coping strategies are probably probably pretty useful for some folks. You yeah. know, I, I, you know, I know in working in psychology, I was always told that you had this like spectrum of interventions and like this little bit's helpful, this little bit's harmful. And for the most part, everything in between is benign. That's mm-hmm. I had a professor describe it like I that. that. And so it can't hurt to try to deal with coping strategies. But, you know, ultimately what they've found is that any treatment needs to be individualized. So you might have auditory distraction that works, right? Like you might have cognitive behavior therapy or CBT that works for treating this particular thing. But for the most part, it really depends on the person. It depends on the nature of the the sound. It depends on the aversion to the sound. It depends on the symptoms. It depends on the intensity. It depends on all of those things to really truly have a treatment package that works. And some treatments can occur for a few weeks or a few months and progress can vary. It depends on really, again, the nature of it, right? Yeah. If you have somebody who just kind of dislikes certain sounds and auditory distraction might be helpful. But if you have somebody who is socially isolating and avoiding entire environments and avoiding work because they can't stand certain sounds, then that becomes like a, a higher level of intensity or a magnitude when it comes to the intervention itself. You wouldn't want to teach someone to just tolerate something that was like physically dangerous either to them or to their hearing. Right. But if it is something that's like, this is something that everyone else has to deal with that's not harmful. And if you try and avoid it, like you're going to be living in a hole somewhere, you know, that's just an unpleasant way to go about life. So you can live in that hole, but if you'd like to have sort of a relatively normal life, then we can help. Yeah, absolutely. So there are ways. So we do have some fun facts about misophonia that we we just couldn't walk away from this episode without having shared these. Okay. Yeah. One of them I think is very fun. This is also sometimes called chewing rage <laughs> so like when the hulk is eating that's right yeah because i mean it, it makes sense like i mean because that's really again like the the common sound is people chewing like you know mouth open lip smacking that kind of that kind of sound like yeah it makes sense to call it like a, having like a, a euphemism like chewing rage chewing rage against the machine it's against a refrigerator because it's all food related there are five specific noise types that are to blame and often described when it comes to misophonia so you've got chewing breathing is one that comes up vocal noises like humming Body cracking. I crack my knuckles all day. Yeah, so like, too. I'm sure I've driven somebody nuts. Yep. Yeah. And just miscellaneous noises like pens clicking or rappers crackling like that type of stuff. So, you know, you'll have those types of general sounds linked into misophonia. All right. Friends, Kafka yeah. reportedly had misophonia, which is probably why he wanted to be a bug instead. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, he wrote a whole book about that. It was reported he actively sought solitude and mostly worked at night so he could avoid daytime sounds. Yeah. So is his misophonia like all like sort of general city sounds? It could be, I guess. Like, you know, but I mean, I feel like that's maybe like it's reported that he might have had it, but like they're going on historical precedents. He probably just had hyperacusis. Oh, yeah. It's a good. Right. Point. Like, because it's like if it's like if it's like urban noise, like that's your that's your challenge and your problem. But also writers are weird. You know, super relevant is probably before this episode comes out. There's the the 18 year cicada love fest that's going to happen. Yep. <laughs> before this episode drops, I feel like those are sounds that could be very obnoxious to some people. Oh yeah. Also, don't know how you're going to escape them. Yeah. Nope. You're. Yep. Sorry. So, you're just going to deal with cicadas. Yeah. Oh, cicadas. There. That's a whole thing. <laughs> we should do an episode on cicadas one day. <laughs> the psychology of cicadas. <laughs> psychology. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I relate. It's like you go underground for 17 or 18 years and you emerge and just say hi to everybody and then go away again. <laughs> Is that what you do? Yeah, I don't know. I don't do that. Okay. I don't think. Maybe. <laughs> I th- I've thought about it. So, you know, 
again, we when we talk about this stuff, we want to be able to give like actual science and actual research on this. And there was an actual behavior analytic study that was done on counter conditioning. So we want to talk about that. Now, Dozier in 2015 described the occurrence of misophonia as essentially a, quote, trigger st stimulus that elicits a reaction starting with irritation or disgust that immediately escalates, end quote. And that tracks with what misophonia is, right? Yeah, that's a good definition. You hear sound, like boom. And then you have an emotional response through the roof. Now, essentially, it's a conditioned response, and that's kind of how they started treating that and approaching it. And it's related to a trigger stimulus, some kind of noise, some kind of auditory sound. And so what they did, the article actually dove into treating a specific case of misophonia through counter conditioning. And they started kind of repairing some of those sounds and doing that and undoing that learning history and found this to be successful in reducing those symptoms related to the trigger stimulus. So the person was no longer having really intense emotional responses to that particular sound, but it was only, again, a specific case study and it was it was just one particular person and it didn't reduce the symptoms altogether or it didn't like eliminate them but it did reduce them a little bit well i think you know you don't necessarily have to fall in love with a particular sound as long as it's not so aversive that you can't stand to be in a situation where you would otherwise find value in being there right the one thing i don't know about any of this is that i think there are some people who like to have misophonia as part of their identity and would therefore be really resistant to changing or deal or I guess altering their experience with misophonia in such a way that would have those sounds be less aversive. Right. And I don't I'm not saying that's everybody, and maybe it's only one person, I don't know, but I imagine that there is there's some amount of people out there because there's the, around everything that is like a preference or or a disorder, different things in this case there are always a group that's like, this is who I am and it's important to my identity that I have this label. Right. And so that might be something they want to stick to. But for those people who really struggle with this and they are looking for change, it does seem like there are some ways to help manage getting over that experience so that it is no longer so unpleasant for you. Yeah. If you want to, like you, you might choose to just crawl into a hole and yeah. stay there. Or maybe you just go, you know, go around about life being really irritated by those sounds. And that's just how life is. I, you know, whatever, whatever works for you, I guess. I always just like to think of like, if you could be having an experience in life that feels like it is in line with the values that you have and you are happy with the quality of things going on around you, then do whatever makes you happy, you know? Yeah. And if you want to change that, then there are people who want to help. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, well, I mean, that's all we really had as far as like misophonia goes. There's not a lot on it, considering the people talk about it so much. So maybe we should do take home points. I would say for a take home point for me is that I think it's worth highlighting and a major take home is that misophonia is not an official diagnosis. Yeah, it is essentially a preference. And that is OK. We're not criticizing anyone for having an aversion to particular sounds or having a preference for or against certain sounds. It's just a thing that people experience and it's okay. If, if you have that, it's just not officially recognized a disorder as a disorder, particularly because it's really hard to pin it down in such a way that it would meet the definition of a disorder. And I think to kind of piggyback on that, you know, despite it not being an official disorder, there are people that are significantly impacted by it. If there weren't people that were impacted by it, then we wouldn't be talking about it today. Yeah, that's true. So it is definitely worth looking at the idea of like why it's impactful, how it's impactful, and some ways to get around it. 
And it can lead to some things like avoidance behavior, avoiding certain circumstances. It can lead to avoiding certain environments or certain spaces and missing out on opportunities and experiences. It seems like it could probably diminish somebody's quality of life overall, the more they're exposed to something or the more they have a problem. So it is pretty impactful or it can be pretty impactful for folks who reportedly suffer from it. Yeah, absolutely. And to that end, I think that there are some options to help people deal with their experience of misophonia if they want to, such as counter conditioning. And we have we have at least a little tiny bit of research about that. Yeah. And then some other strategies that people have used, the distractions, the cognitive behavior therapy, tinnitus retraining, that sort of thing. So there's there's stuff out there for you. So, yeah, I mean, that's all we got on misophonia. There's nothing more to it, really. Perfect. All right. Let's do some recommendations. Let's do it. Recommendations. So my recommendation is the movie A Quiet Place. First one or the second one? (laughs) The second one's not out yet. Second one's not out yet. But well, by the time this comes out, it will be. So for right now, I'll say the first one. Yeah. If you've not seen it, it's really great. It's a really fun kind of like horror movie jaunt directed by John Krasinski, I believe. Yeah. So it's right. directed by Jim from The Office and starring Jim from The Office. Yeah. And his wonderful, wonderful actress, wife, Emily Blunt, who is actually a better actress, a better actor than than he is, I think. Yes, I think you would agree with that, too. Yeah. yeah I yeah. love John Krasinski and Emily Blunt is really, really, really good. Yeah, 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 yeah. She she was an excellent Mary Poppins. If you haven't seen the new one, I haven't seen it yet, but I, I was curious. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's fantastic. So anyway, one thing I really like about this movie is that they actually got sign language, like folks who are fluent in sign language to help teach actual sign language for it, because the movie is like very, very quiet, especially for our folks with misophonia. But they use sign language to kind of like communicate throughout the movie and they did a really good job. It's very accurate. So that's that's my pick this time. That's cool. I I really like that movie. I I 100 percent agree. I'm very excited for the sequel, which. So far, the reviews have been very positive for. Yeah. But yes, I I have lots of nice things to say about John Krasinski, as he said, and Emily Blunt is just really good. So. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. All right. My recommendation is if you are fully vaccinated, if and only if you are fully vaccinated, go have a game night with some friends. I mean, no surprise coming from me, but make sure those friends are fully vaccinated. If not, then just keep watching Netflix, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but if yeah, if you're fully vaccinated, like we've recommended a bunch of games, but you know, find one that you like and or you know, ask somebody for recommendations or or some ideas and uh, just get together and like, you know, have a game night, spend a few hours chatting and eating food and drinking your favorite beverage and and playing a board game. Yeah, I think it sounds wonderful. I like that. Sweet. Yeah. All right. If you have misophonia and you'd like to correct us on anything that we said or tell us what an amazing job that we did, we're certainly happy to hear both of those things. We're open to feedback in all forms. You can email us directly at info at www.wwdpodcast.com. If you'd like to tell us about a horror movie that you like that gets sign language right, or if you would like to tell us about a game night that you had, we're happy to hear those things and share your stories as well. You can also reach us on all the social media platforms. If you would leave us a review, that certainly helps us out. If you haven't subscribed, you should do that to make sure that you catch all of these fun discussions. Do you have anything else, Shane? Nope. I don't have anything else. That's good. All right. Thank you for recording with me today. Thank you everyone for listening. This is Abraham. And this is Shane. We are out. See ya. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. 
If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at WWD Podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.wwdpodcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day. 